Sports Professor Rick Harrow, and we are on the record. Every week, this podcast will take you inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, the top deal-making issues, the top tech issues, and the top social responsibility issues, plus a blockbuster interview with someone who you might not have heard from in the world of sports, but having a profound effect on its impact. Let's get started. Sports Professor Rick Harrow into the $1.3 trillion business of sports. Bigger and better after American Thanksgiving, heading toward the holiday season for everybody. And fitting, we covered deals three to one. Three. Mobile sports betting set soon to launch in New York. The New York State Register releases their official rules and guidelines. Forbes says they're one step closer to seeing online sports betting get off the ground. The register released the official set of rules and the regulatory framework needed for the launch. Overseen by New York Department of State, the register responsible for establishing the legal guidelines and restrictions for several industries, operators chomping at the bit to open shop. Formal release increases the likelihood that residents will find themselves able to legally wager online by this year's Super Bowl. Per the guidelines set forth by the New York State Gambling Commission, nine sportsbooks granted approval to operate legally in the state. These nine have all been conditionally approved, and while operators have been granted access to the market, still a few hurdles to clear before the sites can go live. Deal-making issue number three. Two. Number two, Disney looking for betting partners. A report from The Hollywood Reporter said the conservative company looking to throw its hat into the sports betting ring. November 10, Disney CEO Bob Chapik said, given our reach and scale, we have the potential to partner with third parties in a very meaningful way. ESPN partnered with Caesars Entertainment in May 2019 to create a studio in Vegas, and last summer they said they're looking into branding their own sports book, clearly, 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 for a lot of money. One. Number one, MLB and Adobe expand their fan experience partnership including various new options. The Adobe deal will be to increase fan engagement across the league. And baseball will now use Adobe functions such as the Experience Cloud, Creative Cloud, and Adobe Sign to connect more directly with fans, share content, and expedite contract signing. MLB and Adobe could offer push notifications to alert fans which entrance lines or concession lines at a ballpark are least crowded, introduce loyalty network programs to fans and others. In addition, baseball and the baseball network have expanded across the Adobe Creative Cloud, which they already utilize to drive content creation. Adobe's new facilities could appear in the MLB Ballpark app that fans already use to navigate stadiums, view concession menus, and hold tickets. Clearly, fan engagement is critical. So why our interview is even more critical. MMR Research Associates, an industry leader in data analytics, Jeff Grant, VP Client Relationships, before his experience with Turner and Time Warner, has given him some unique perspective on what it takes to bring fans back after the pandemic, keep them there, and keep them avid. Jeff Grant had so many insights. Let's hear from him now. Tell me a little bit what MMR does, what you do with MMR, and, and you know why this is such an important interview, basically. MMR Research Associates is a full-service market research firm. 
doing both quantitative and qualitative primary research uh, for clients across the board. We have a, a large slate of uh, clients that uh, in areas that run the gamut between consumer goods and finance and travel and restaurants and what have you. Um, I have uh, experience having been with uh, Turner Broadcasting and then later Warner Media for a little over 24 years and then came to MMR this year uh, to help them expand their media and entertainment uh, discipline. So part of that uh, includes the sports uh, uh, area and uh, within sports, you know, it covers everything from the, the leagues, the teams, uh, sports viewing networks, uh, and all of the different kind of ancillary things that go along with it. Right place, right time, right experience for you. There are many people that will take different positions regarding media consumption, especially after pandemic and what different kind of media there is. But how do you see the current landscape in sports media consumption and the biggest challenges ahead? Well, I think it's, it's very similar to all of the other aspects of media in the sense that there's a huge amount of fragmentation in the industry. Um, you have all sorts of different content providers, uh, whether you divide it up between entertainment, sports, news, kids, there's a lot of different things that you can watch and engage with. And then uh, once you look at that, you've got a variety of different screens that all of this content is on. And it can be a large screen, it could be small screen. Um, and in particular for sports, that content, you can even drill down and you've got coverage of games and news and highlights and commentary. Uh, it's a, it cuts a wide swath across every genre in the business. And I would say that the biggest challenge is young consumers and their viewing behavior. Uh, and I've obviously been focusing on that, uh, having covered the, uh, the area that I have uh, in my uh, past history with WarnerMedia, uh, knowing that it's really kind of the tail wagging the dog in the sense that back in the old days when we were doing research in media, it was very much the companies could determine, you know, where they're putting uh, content and that would be really where it's, uh, it would be directing the consumer to go get it. I think these days uh, the opposite is true. Uh, and that is that it's really the consumer that's determining where this content needs to be. And in particular with young consumers, so we're talking about people in their in their 20s um, uh, and, and in the age spans just a little bit before and after that, you've got uh, Gen Z and millennial viewers that are really prone to watching, you know, clips and highlights, you know, in, in snackable uh, portions. Probably more they are more than they are prone to watching full games even these days. Well, especially for I have personal knowledge, and I'm sure you do too. You know, daughters who ha graduate law school or, or college and you want to give them big TVs and they don't want big TVs anymore. They want small computer laptops or phones. It saves dad a lot of money, but but it also gives you the ability to understand it's a brave new world. From your perspective, though, Jeff, what are leagues and teams asking you for help with? You're one of the you know best firms in the business, especially related to consumer insights. What 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 do you, what do you what do you most get asked? Well, I think, you know, in my conversations with uh, a variety of different teams and leagues and what I've had, I, you know, really what they're looking for is, you know, how to develop and cultivate that lifetime 
but lifelong relationship with the fan. So I think sports and teams mean a variety of different things to people uh, as they grow older and mature across the demographic spectrum. So really, when you think about it, you know, when you're a kid, uh, your interaction with content and IP is really different than it is when you get older to be uh, a teen and then a young adult, and then you're at the position of being um, uh, uh, in the in the position of having a family, and now you have kids, and then the cycle starts all over again. So you know, when you think about it, uh, when you're much younger, maybe you know you're attracted to the types of, uh, of, of food in, a, in an arena, or the mascots, or uh, you know the design of, uh, of the uniforms, or what have you. And you get a little older, and then maybe you get into the statistics of it. You've got uh, baseball and football cards, and you're starting to learn about the players, uh, and then you get more into following the games as you become older, and um, you start to buy merchandise as you start to have disposable income, and you're wearing jerseys, and you're uh, immersing yourself in a fandom that you then use as a currency amongst your friends and family uh, to the point where, as I said, you get to be old enough to want to uh, give this love of IP or a team or a league to your children and have them be a part of the experience um, that you've enjoyed for so many years. And then again, like I said, the, the cycle starts all over. Well, yeah, it starts all over if you empower the kid and you understand that this is not something that he has to do, but something he wants to do. And there's a lot more opportunities and choices these days. You also say, in some of your writings, the key is to kind of be everywhere the the fan is and keep them interested in the off season as well. That speaks to short term snackable content. I get that, but it also speaks to storytelling a little bit. The thing that NBC has been so Ebersolian and successful for so long on, I assume the kind of kind of content is changing a little bit, right? Not just the length of the content, but what the what the what the stories are. Yeah, I think there's really two ways that you can look at it. Um, you know, first of all, I mentioned before that the, the leagues and the networks really need to make content for all the different platforms, which they are. And in particular for the young consumer, you know, it's being the ones that are driving the ways that this content is being consumed. You need to have content everywhere that that consumer is. And when you think about it, um, how and what they watch is really determined by a variety of different things. So it, it's who they're with, how much time they have, what mood they're in, where they are, and that will determine, you know, what it is that they decide to watch and where they watch it um, and on what platforms that they watch it. And then you were alluding to the, the snackable uh, uh, content, you know, in the, the research that I've done in the past, you know, we, we looked at, uh, long-form content versus short-form content. And, you know, there are a lot of parallels between uh, looking at uh, entertainment television and sports television in the sense that you can have seasons of television shows and be a fan of a television show in the way that you are a fan of uh, a professional sports team that plays during a season. Uh, the question then becomes, so what do you do for that fan uh, in the off season or between seasons to keep that fandom alive and keep them interested. So that's really, uh, you've got long-term, long-form content. And I would consider that, let's say in the sports area, 
watching a full game uh, or going to um, a, a game at an arena or a stadium. And then in between, it's really uh, the um, responsibility of the, the networks and the leagues to provide uh snackable content in the off season so that you're cultivating that fandom, that you keep that flame burning so that when the next season comes along, everybody's fired up and is ready to go. Yeah. And, and, and frankly, fired up and ready to go is a good example of kind of segueing into kind of the big question that I've got as well. Everybody's looking at analytics on the field, off the field. Uh, how does, you know, market research from your world and you're very well, uh, equipped and qualified to do it, um, help the current environment across sports media teams and leagues. Uh, who needs that research most and what do they want? Well, I think, you know, the, the two need to be used kind of in concert together. So, you know, you, you look at some of the arenas and, and the teams and they have very robust CRMs and uh, have a lot of data on people that buy tickets or express interest. Um, in the uh, in the league or the team, uh, but I think that what they can't get out of that is that next step where, and that's where really where they rely on market research to help them figure out the demographics, figure out what the buying um, habits are, the media consumption habits are, uh, finding out you know what is the pattern of their viewing, what is the the funnel that they go down to uh, buy merchandise uh, uh, in support of the teams. And it's, it's kind of the color that needs to be added to the data that they are collecting. And it's, it's that hard to reach information that that data can't get. And that's really what the market research can help provide. Well, and the final question, I guess, it's on everybody's mind because, uh, you know, the, the gaming industry today is different than the gaming industry tomorrow. And look at all of the companies in it. Where is your company active in the gaming space? Where do you think you and market research can be most effective in uh, the whole gambling world as it gets more and more prolific and as it gets deployed? Well, I think, you know, that's a huge opportunity in the space right now, because like I said, you know, with young adults, especially, you know, here's a group of people that are really relying uh, more on the bite size. Uh, highlights and uh, news to keep abreast of what's going on as opposed to sitting through an entire game. And I think, you know, they're also looking for something for some action on the side that makes viewing more exciting. Um, and I believe that that's what sports betting does uh, and, and how it complements that, that viewing pattern. So, you know, uh, through market research, we're able to study the how and why of sports betting and help make the best consumer experience possible um, so that those who are interested in doing that uh, do it the way they want to um, relative to how much it is ultimately they want to spend, what kind of bets that they make, and that sort of thing. Well, clearly, when you look at consumer research in all of these areas, teams, leagues, and the like, it's the right time. Everybody's looking at it, everybody's coming back, and everybody wants to get off on the right foot analytically as they do so. Thank you for Jeff Grant, and thanks to MMR. Well, let's look at the Sports Tech Minute. SnapScreen raises $1.2 million to enhance their sports betting gameplay with Consumer Vision. They raise about $1.2 million in a New York-based venture, Capital Sharp Alpha Advisors, 
round. They're the developer of Snap Odds, a B2B sports betting technology product. And Snap Odds video recognition system allows for users to point their smartphone at any screen showing a live, live sporting event, either TV or streaming, to have their phone populate available betting odds for that game. Snap Odds aims to use apps from sports betting and media companies to help facilitate in-play bets. Vegas casino-based chain Stations Casinos, the first customer to sign up for Snap Odds. And Snap Screen was founded in Austria in 2016 and a member of last year's Sports Technology Accelerator, hosted by Techstars in Melbourne, Australia. It's going global. It's going all over the country. And finally, the Good Sports 5, as we always do, Pandemic and Beyond. Triller's Triad Combat, a great success as the newest combat sport venture, featured numerous former stars. Unique entry to the combat sports world. It'll be interesting if the success and allure of it continues long term. Former Brazil Olympic boss Carlos Arthur Nuzman sentenced to life in jail for corruption. Investigators say all of the affiliates and associates coordinated to bribe the former president of the International Association of Athletic Federations and his son, uh, Lamani Diak, and his son, Papa, to vote. And people aren't going to allow that in this day and age. We'll see if there's an appeal. Follow that. The women's national team defeated Australia for their first match in 21 years. The women's soccer team needed less than 60 seconds to score against the Matildas, and turnout is all they needed. The New Look American side needed a 3-0 win at Sydney's Olympic Stadium. It was pretty easy, they said, but the average age of the starting side was 26, making it the youngest starting lineup to take the field for the women's team since 2018. We'll see where that goes philanthropically and all of the other issues impacting women's sports. Boston Celtics center Ennis Cantor celebrating his U.S. citizenship by officially changing his name to Ellis Cantor Freedom. During his games, he wore shoes decorated to say Free Tibet and argued for a boycott for 2022 Beijing. The idea of him being involved as a Turk citizen as well raises some eyebrows, but good for him. The John Wall Street carousel continues. After starting earlier this week, he wanted to return to the team. He now wishes to sit out after not agreeing to a potential role. Former All-Star point guard John Wall told the Rockets this. And while teams would certainly be interested in Wall if the two sides had agreed to a buyout and he became a free agent, no contending team is going to give up what's necessary to acquire him far as assets or salaries. It just shows that charitable issues, the Rockets, everybody really important, but in many cases, what's on the field, on the court, on the ice is what counts. Well, that's our show for today. We'd like to thank Jeff Grant, VP of Client Relationships for MMR, and giving us some really interesting perspective as a re MMR Research Associates continues to be an industry leader in this area. I'd like to thank all of our folks for helping us put this show together. Nick Nielsen, my crack right-hand guy with this. And we'd also thank you all for listening and enjoying your post-Thanksgiving holiday. And join us next week when, once again, we continue to go inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. I'm Ricaro. See you next time.